Chapter Nineteen of Dwellers in the Hills by Melville Davison Post. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A recording by Marianne. Chapter Nineteen, The Orbit of the Dwarves. We slept that night in the front room of Roy's tavern, and it seemed to me that I had just closed my eyes when I opened them again. Ump was standing by the side of the bed with a candle. The door was ajar and the night air blowing the flame, which he was screening with his hand. For a moment, with sleep thick in my eyes, I did not know who was in the blue coat. "'Wake up, Quiller,' he said, "'and get into your duds.' "'What's the matter?' I asked. "'There's devilment, Hatchin, I'm afraid,' he answered. "'Wait till I wake, Judd.' He aroused the man from his snoring in the chimney-corner, and I got into my clothes. It was about three o'clock, and grey-dark. I looked over the room as I pulled on the roundabout, borrowed of Roy. Ump's bed had not been slept in, and there was about him the warm smell of a horse. Judd noticed the empty bed. "'Ump,' he said, "'you ain't been asleep at all.' "'I got uneasy about the cattle,' answered the hunchback, "'and I been up there with them, and it was damn lucky.' I was sitting on the Bay Eagle in a little holler when somebody come along and begun to take down the bars. I lit out for him, and he run like a whitehead, jumped the fence on the lower side of the road, and went splashing through the creek. But he left some feathers in the bushes when he jumped, and I got him. He put his hand into the bosom of his coat and drew out a leather cap. Christian, I cried, pointing to the seared spots on the leather. Judd crushed the cap in his fingers. "'He's got back,' he said. "'Was he riding a horse?' "'Footnit,' answered Ump. "'And by himself. "'That's what makes me leery. "'Them others are up to something, or they'd a come with him. "'He'd just about time to make the trip on Shank's mare by taking shortcuts. "'They've put him up to turn out the cattle and drive him back while we snoozed.' "'Maybe they did come with him,' said Judd and they're waiting somewhere. It would be like them to come a-sneakin' back and try and drive the cattle over, and put em in the river in the night, so it would look like they had got out and gone away themselves. Ump's forehead wrinkled like an accordion. That's fitting to the size of em, he said, and about what they're up to, but old Christian was surely by himself, and I don't understand that. If they'd a come with him, I'd a seen em, or heard the horses." "'I don't believe they came with him,' said I. "'Why not?' said Judd. "'Because,' I answered, "'if they came with him, "'they would have put Christian on a horse, "'and they would have stopped here to locate us. "'They could tell by looking in the stable. "'They'd never wait until they got to the field. "'They're a foxy set, "'and there's something back that we don't know.' "'What could they do?' put in Judd. "'There's no more fairies.' "'But there's a bridge,' said I. "'Ump, standing stock still in the floor, "'stumbled like a horse struck over the knees. "'Judd bolted out of the house on a dead run. "'We followed him to the stable, "'Ump galloping like a great rabbit. "'We flung open the stable door, "'thrust the bits into the horses' mouths, "'and slapped on our saddles. "'It was murky, but we needed no light for business like this. "'We knew every part of the horse as a man knows his face.' 
and we knew every strap and buckle. Ump sat on his mare, waiting until we should be ready, kicking his stirrups with impatience, but his tongue, strangely enough, quiet. He turned his mare across the road before us when we were in our saddles. Judd, he said, don't go off half-cocked, and if there's hell raised, look out for Quiller. I'll stay here and bring up the cattle as soon as it's light. Then he pulled his mare out of the way. El Mahdi was on his hind legs while Ump was speaking. When the Bay Eagle turned out, he came down with a great jump and began to run. I bent over and clamped my knees to the horse and let him go. He was like some engine whose throttle is thrown open. In the first few plunges he seemed to rock with energy, as though he might be thrown off his legs by the pent-up driving power. He and one other horse, the Black Abbot, started like this when they were mad, and, clinging in the saddle, one felt for a moment that the horse under him would rise out of the road or go crashing into the fence. You will not understand this, my masters, if you have ridden only trained running horses or light hunters. They go about the business of a race with eagerness enough, but still as a servant goes about his task. Imagine, if you please, how a horse would run with you in the night if he was seventeen hands high and a barbarian. We passed the tavern in a dozen plunges. I saw the candle which Ump had flung down, flickering by the horse-block, a little patch of light. Then the cardinal's shoe crushed it out. My coat-sleeves cracked like sails. The wind seemed to whistle along my ribs. The horse's shoulders felt like pistons working under a cloth. I was part of that horse. I fitted my body to him. I adjusted myself to the drive of his legs, to the rise and fall of his shoulders, to the play of every muscle. I rode when his back rocked, like a sort of loose hump fastened to it. His mane blew over my face and went streaming back. My nostrils were filled with the steam from his sweating skin. Judd rode after the same manner, reducing the area of wind resistance to the smallest space. One watching the horses pass would have seen no rider at all. He might have marked a heavy outline, as though something were bound across the saddle, or clung flat to it. You, my masters, who are accustomed to the horse as a slave, cannot know him as a freeman. That docked thing standing by the curb is a long, bred-out degenerate. In the hills a horse was born and bred up to be a freeman. When the time came he yielded to a sort of human suzerainty, but he yielded as a cadet of a noble house, yields to the discipline of a commandant, with the spirit in him as one who condescended. There were certain traditions which these horses seemed to hold, the Bay Eagle would never wear harness, nor would any of her blood, to the last one. The Black Abbot would never carry a woman's saddle. Nor would his father, nor his father's father. I have seen them fight like barbarian kings, great, tawny, desperate savages, bursting the straps and buckles as Samson burst the wives of the Philistines, fighting to kill, fighting to tear in pieces and destroy, fighting as a man fights when his standards are all down and he has lost a kingdom. The earth was grey, with a few stars above it. The moon had gone over the mountains to make it day in the mystic city of Zeus, 
and the city was still lagging along the other side of the world. We thundered by the old weaver's little house, squatting by the roadside, shut up tight like a sleeping eye. Then we swung down into the sandy strip of bottom leading to the bridge. The river was not a quarter of a mile away. I began to pull on the bridle reins. El Mahdi held the bit clamped in his teeth. I shifted a rein into each hand and tried to saw the bit loose, but could not do it. Then, lying down on the saddle, I wound the slack of the reins around my wrists, caught out as far as I could, braced myself against the horn, and jerked with all the strength of my arms. I jammed the tree of the saddle up on the horse's withers, but the bit held in his jaws. I knew then that the horse was running away. The devil seemed to be in him. He started in a fury, and he had run with a sort of rocking that ought to have warned me. I twisted my head around to look for Judd. He had begun to pull up the cardinal, and had fallen a little behind, but he understood at once, shook out his reins, and leaned over his saddle. The nose of the cardinal came almost to my knee and hung there. Judd caught at my bridle, but he could not reach it. I wedged my knees against the leather pads of the saddle skirts, caught one side of the bridle rein with both hands, and tried to throw the horse into the fence. I felt the leather of the rein stretch. Then I knew that it was no use to try any further. Even if Judd could reach my bridle, he would merely tear it off at the bit rings and not stop the horse. In a dozen seconds we would reach the stone abutment and go over into the river. I had no doubt that the bridge was down, or, if not, that its flooring was torn up. I realized suddenly that it was my turn to go out of the world. I had seen people going out as though their turn came in a curious order, not unlike games which children play. But somehow I had never thought that my turn would come. I was not really in that game. I was looking on when my name was called out. El Mahdi struck the stone abutment, and the bridge loomed. I dropped the reins and clung to the saddle, expecting the horse to fall with his legs broken, drive me against the sleepers, and crash through. We went on to the bridge like a rattle of musketry and thundered across. Horses, resembling women, as I have heard it said, are sometimes diverted from their purpose by the removal of every jot of opposition. With the reins on his neck, El Mahdi stopped at the top of a hill, and I climbed down to the ground. My legs felt weak, and I held on to the stirrup leather. Judd dismounted, seized my bit, and ran his hand over El Mahdi's face. "'I can't make head nor tail of that runnin', he said. "'He ain't scared, nor he ain't mad.' "'You couldn't tell with him,' I answered. "'There never was a scared horse,' responded Judd, "'that wasn't nervous, and there never was a mad one that wasn't hot.' but this feller feels like a sucking calf. It must have been devilment, and he ought to be wailed. It wouldn't do any good, said I. He'd only fight you and try to kill you. He's a damn curious whelp, said Judd. He must have knowed that bridge was all right. How could he have known, said I. They say, replied Judd, that horses and cattle sees things that folks don't see and that they know about what's going to happen. It's powerful curious about the things they do know. We slipped the reins over the horses' heads and walked back to the bridge. Judd went on with his talking. Now, 
you can't get a horse on to a dangerous bridge to save your life and you can't get him on ice that ain't strong enough to hold him and you can't get him to eat anything that'll hurt him and you can't get him lost and old clabe says there's bible for it that a horse can see spooks i tell you quiller el Mahdi knowed about that bridge deep in my youthful bosom i was convinced that el Mahdi knew but i put it wholly on ground that he was a genius we crossed the river led the horses down to the end of the abutment and tied them to a fence then we went back and examined the bridge as well as we could in the dark it stood over the river as the early men and dwarves had built it solid as a wall woodford had given the thing up and the road was open to the north country we sat down on the corner of the abutment near the horses to wait for the daylight judd wearing old christian's cap and i bareheaded we sat for a long time listening to the choke and snarl of the water as it crowded along under the bridge then we fell to a sort of whispering talk quiller he began do you believe that story about the dwarves building the bridge ump don't i answered ump says it's a cock-and-bull story and there never were any dwarves except once in a while a bad job like him you can't take ump for it he said ump won't believe anything he can't put his finger on if it swore to on a stack of bibles quiller i've seen them holes in the mountains where the dwarves lived with the marks on the rocks like on them logs and i've seen the rigamajigs that they cut in the sandstone they could build the bridge if they took a notion just by saying words he was quiet a while and then he added and i've seen the path where they used to come down to the river and it has places worn the solid rock like you'd make with your big toe judd stopped and i moved a little closer to him i could see the ugly crooked men crawl out of their caves and come sneaking down from the mountains to strangle the sleeping and burn the roof i could see their twisted bare feet their huge slack mouths and their long hands that hung below their knees when they walked and then on the hill beyond the valley river i heard a sound i seized my companion by the arm judd i said under my breath did you hear that he leaned over me and listened the sound was a sort of echo they're coming he whispered the dwarves said i lem marks said he end of chapter 19